This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Bet with Tote and support racing in the UK and Ireland. Days away from the greatest show on turf and, as is tradition, we have a fantastic handicap puzzle to solve on the Saturday, the Imperial Cup. It is one of my, genuinely one of my favourite races of the season because I love to try and solve this puzzle as we then build up to Cheltenham itself and if you can the confidence boost it gives you is just unstoppable so if we're going to crack a major handicap well then we have to have the undisputed handicap king the Racing Post Naps champion for 2020 the Irish Fields legendary writer and of course Final Four and Podcast legend Mr. Roy DeLarge well hello there and welcome back to the show, my friend. Uh, with us all four days of all four daily previews for Cheltenham as well. So looking forward to your insight on that. So let's build up the gravy for Cheltenham by starting with the 150 at Sandown. It is European Breeders Fund, Paddy Power, National Hunt, Novices Handicap Hurdle. Uh, the market is fairly tightly congested as we record on Thursday afternoon. What's your approach to the race? Yes, this is always one of the... Um uh, one of the most competitive uh, handicaps of the season for novices. Um, it has in its time taken place, not quite at the Cheltenham Festival, but on the Friday at Cheltenham after the festival. If you go back, what? When I was called Bear Claw One. Um, yes, they uh, they had an extra day's racing at the end of the festival, which was not part of the festival. It was it was like the old Royal Ascot then. A bit like yes, exactly like yeah. the old Royal Ascot, where you'd have, you'd have Ascot Heath for the um, for the Hoy Polloi on the Saturday, and it, you know it could easily it could easily command the place at the uh, the festival. Um, but uh, here we have it. Um, Jesus, don't give my ideas, Rory. Sandtime the weekend before, uh, and it's it's a typically very really competitive renewal. Uh, I was thinking of of um, of putting um, the Mick Preston up as my as my uh, main selection. Mick Preston was very nearly near the top of my uh, my short list because he um, he was runner up in his first two starts over hurdles, having won his bumper at uh, at Hereford, um, and he. He won a, uh, a novice hurdle at, or sorry, handicap hurdle at Hereford last time out, uh, beating Winds of Fire and Song of the Hunter. And that looks okay for him. Uh, he was favourite for that based in his, in his uh, previous form. And it didn't look like he'd have to improve an awful lot um, to win it. But the forms worked out well. Uh, Winds of Fire and Song of the Hunter were second and third. Uh, and the pair of them have run have run well since. Uh, Winds of Fire was second. What I like called Marauder of Seamus Mullins's. Um, he's all right. And the horse the horse that finished third that they blamed the game he was favourite was a winner of a handicap on his next start. And that was at, at Fakenham. And the, the, the horse as I said he finished third at um at Hereford run very well on his uh on his next start. Uh, actually been two starts since, uh, including being second in a in a good handicap hurdle at Newbury the other day. Um so that's that, that form is working out well. He will progress again. But I kind of expected the story here to be that um Carl Philippe was a strong favourite. And I think Carl Philippe really ought to be clear favourite for this race. Oh. And and in looking at the race in the first place, I look at it and go, right, 
they're going to make Carl Philippe short price. Who can I find against them? It's kind of an automatic thing. Now, Carl Philippe's form has all been on heavy ground, but there's no reason um, to, to think that he actually needs it. Uh, obviously, we've, we've had soft and heavy ground through the season thus far. Trained by Fergal O'Brien, runs in the uh, in the colours of um, Harry Redknapp. I'd imagine this has been his, his aim all season. Uh, he won uh, he won a couple of times in bumpers. The only times he's been beaten over hurdles, beaten twice at Exeter, second both times, should have 101 the first time, <sighs> got nutted on the line, and should have 103 the second time when he led at the last but stumbled and again got caught, caught close home. Now, you might take the view that, you know, he's been done close home after trading short. He might not be that that straightforward, but I don't think he did an awful lot wrong on either of those those occasions. Um, and, of course, he then went back to Exeter and won by 10 lengths last time. I beat in a horse called Sheldon, mm. who also runs here. And the impression I've got from that is is that... Um, He's a pretty he's a pretty solid prospect here off a mark of 130. That seems um, uh, that seems a decent enough mark. Um, uh, Martin Hall has beaten him already. Martin Hall beat him beat him uh, at extra again. He reopposes, um, but that was in the race where where um, Carl Philippe traded um, right at the um, you know close to the basement price when he went 103. And the third that day was Gladiator Allen, who also reopposes. He was a winner next time out as well. So that form has worked out really well. I, I think. Um, Carl Philippe looked, looked the winner most of the way that day at level ways of Martin Hall Martin Hall must give him weight now um, and I, I thought obviously you can make a case that Martin Hall's improved again um, having won uh, from Seoul Warra won again at Exeter on heavy ground last time out but I thought that um, in terms of you know if you had to put them together in terms of raw ability there's nothing between them uh, so getting weight uh, from Martin Hall I would definitely uh, favour Carl Philippe um, who again, you know, it's all very well saying Martin Hall's improved. Well, Carl was improved to win 10 lengths at extra last time out and did that easing down. So, it, it, first of all, he answered questions about whether he had the resolution to win a race. Um, and uh, secondly, he, he posted a, uh, an even better effort. So, um, again, I wouldn't rule Sheldon out, who was, beaten, who was beaten by him last time out, 10 lengths behind him at Exeter. But on that occasion, Sheldon was giving weight away. Um, he'd, he'd won his previous start. Um, so, he had to concede a lump of weight. Uh, and he lost a shoe in the race. So although he was beaten 10 lengths, I think, again, I, I said this in the show before, the first thing people look at is horses they can rule out. And if horse A has beaten horse B last time, they go, right, well, horse B can't win. Mm. And they start looking at it. Um, whereas if you look at the details of that race, uh, the fact that the first two were, were well clear of the rest of the field, uh, which included Killer Kane, who came fourth, uh, or Colin Tizzard, he won the other day. Uh, so that form is working out as well. And if you take the view that, sh- that um, losing a shoe... Um, uh, impacted Sheldon's performance. I take the view that lots, lots of horses lose shoes and it doesn't make an awful lot of difference to them. Some horses, you know, it depends how you lose it. If, you, if the shoe comes loose during a race, if you're running with a loose shoe for half a race, I can see why that might impact your performance. But, you know, you'd be amazed how many horses lose shoes yeah. um, in races or indeed when being washed out afterwards, um, as has been known to happen. So <laughs> I'm not sure that's made a huge difference. The fact, the fact that Sheldon was giving six pounds to Carl Philippe and now he gets a lump of weight from him um, entitles him to get reasonably close. And as you know from from uh, from years of experience, I'm a bit of a fan of Seamus Mullins. His horses all, are always under bet in races yeah. like this. Yeah. And he's a decent trainer. So I can see Sheldon running uh, running a decent race at a price. Um, and again, you know, listen, you can go down, you can make a case for about a dozen horses in this. They're all improving novices, all with good pedigrees. Um, and there, there are very few who you would say are, are anything like out of their depth here. Um, Road Sanam looks to have a, a stiff enough task um, at the bottom there. But otherwise, 
you can make a case for the vast majority of these of some sort. Um, so it's not a race to be to be getting involved uh, at odds that are too skinny. But as I said, Carl Philippe, I think, deserves to be a short price favourite um, based on his his overall profile. Uh, and I'm surprised that he won- he's now not favourite in a couple of places. Uh, I thought I was being clever with the Mick Preston, um, spotting that you know his his last time out uh, form has worked out very well. Um, but the market is very much catching on to him as well. So um, it's a tough old contest. Tough old contest. Ian Williams is in tremendous form. He's got sometimes always. Um, he's won his last three, including a jumper's bumper last time out. He gets into the equation as well. And I'm, I'm going to be driven by price on this. It's always the way. Um, and as I said, you know, the, the market will have been around for 24 hours by the time I get involved in this. And something that's a 10 to 1 shot at the moment is going to be pushed out to 20s. Um, with support for something else, and, and that's that's the kind of horse I'm going to go for in this. But though that's that's the short list I've been looking at thus far. But I, you know, I would not I would not rule out digging a little bit deeper because, um, as I said, this is always a really really deep contest, and there are plenty of good chances. One thing I just want to say about Carl Philippe before we move on. Yep. Um, he's by a horse. He's by a, a sire called Kentucky Dynamite, um, and it, it's easy to look at his form and say this Kentucky Dynamite must be a. Um, a specialist heavy grind sire. He very much isn't. He's got a better record. Well, first of all, if you're going to look at his, his the sire's record on heavy grind, um, if you're ever doing this with a sire who doesn't have that many runners, you've got to strip out the horse in question, strip out his his form. Um, because obviously, if you're judging the horse's ability on the, on the grind and you're judging the sire's ability on the grind, but you're also including the horse's results, then you're, you know, you're, you're, Contaminating your own your own uh, analysis, uh, so strip his uh, record out here in Kentucky Dynamite's uh, record on heavy ground. It's fair; it's, it's a perfectly good record, but it's no better than his record on good ground or good to soft ground. In fact, strictly speaking, his his um, his strike rate, the percentage of rivals his offspring beat, is better on good and good to soft ground than it is on um, uh, on heavy. So I wouldn't be concerned from a from a um, uh, a pedigree point of view about whether he will handle the quicker grind, which is like, I mean, there's going to be showers t- uh, t- tomorrow and Saturday as well. So the grind is liable to be good to soft all over. And it, if the showers are heavier than expected, um, it does turn a little bit at sand down as well. It gets, um, gets muddy fairly quickly. So don't, don't be banking on really good grind. I think it will be, it won't be as bad as it was midwinter, but it'll be on the, definitely on the, on the soft side of good. Uh, I think you're looking at good to soft um, at the, at the very least. It was the fact that the the forecast is was what it is that was making me look at Martinhal. When we last had David on the show, he was talking about this horse and saying that you know long term as a three miler in the making. Clearly, the the wind operation has worked a treat on him. He also has battled really hard against Carl Philippe to to win, and has battled hard to win last time out uh, at Exeter as well. So if if he was one of those horses that was to take a drift in the betting, is he a player for you? Yeah, yeah. Anything, anything bigger than tens makes Martin Hall of, of interest. You know, as I said, I think the fact that he's actually got to concede weight to Carl Philippe asked a little bit of a question. If you're asking me about the 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 balance of the of the form of the pair of them, I would say they're pretty much the same, um, and I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be having one conceding three fine to the other. But that's not that's not a, a great deal in the grand scheme of things. And as I was saying in our handicap special the other day, it's not. In races like this, handicap marks aren't always the first thing you look at. Yeah. You're looking at horses who will improve, um, you know, who've been laid out for, for races, horses who will improve for the conditions, horses who will be suited by the, the big field and the track and, and the likely pace scenario. And then once you've sort of ruled out a few horses, um, then you start looking at who you think is, is well-treated. 
I think once you start with with well handicapped horses, um, it's difficult to throw them out when you think they're not suited by by um, how the race might be run. You get it in your mind straight away, and they're hard to shake. So I, I I always do that last. This is the race that I'm more fascinated by than any over the weekend, Rory. The Paddy Power Imperial Cup handicap hurdle. The current betting uh, natural history. For Gary Moore, three to one is the best price you can get about him. Langer Dan, eleven to two. Highway one hundred and two tens. Leon Cavallo, tens. Are you starting to see a pattern here, Rory? Solve the Imperial Cup. Well, easier said than done, isn't it? But yeah, the, the blindingly obvious one uh, coming out of this is Natural History, um, who's very much been laid out um, for this contest. Um. He was runner-up to a, to a decent horse in his penultimate start at um, Wisconsin um, called Lucky One. Now, unfortunately, Lucky One then went up to uh, Kelso last week and ran a little bit of a stinker uh, in the uh, in the, the Grade Two Premier Novices Hurdle. I say a stinker. He wasn't he wasn't completely disgraced, but he ran a fair way below that form. He mm. didn't. He certainly didn't do uh, anything to to promote it. Um, in finishing fifth of uh, six finishers behind the very exciting My Drogo. Um, but um, the interesting thing about that contest is not so much how, how he ran, but the others, um, the placed horses, um, have, have done a lot better. Obviously, Natural History went and won his next start. Um, Lily Peddler, who was uh, well beaten in third, um, was... Uh, was a good second in a uh, in a novice, uh, Maris novice on her next start, um, and the uh, um, the fourth horse horse home was was far from disgraced either. Um, he's a stable mate of the uh, of the favourite here, uh, making it look a little bit better. It's not not the easiest form in the world to, to get your head around, um, but um, certainly natural history looked um, thrown in on his handicap debut. A last amount. Now that only comes that only came um, the other day at Plumpton um, when he beat Mystic Dreamer fifteen lengths. But it showed that the handicapper, you know, the, the fact that he'd been beaten twenty odd lengths uh, in a novice in his previous start, and had also been beaten at um, uh, in a maiden hurdle at Plumpton prior to that, uh, meant that the handicapper underestimated him, um, starting off with a mark of one hundred and sixteen. And um, he made that look a bit daft when he, um, as I said, he'd be bolted up by 15 lengths from, from Mystic Dreamer, um, looking completely different class to his rivals there. Now, that wasn't the strongest handicap you're ever going to see. It was a not 125. Um, but the um, uh, the place was there, but brought solid enough form for the grade. Uh, and he's made them look pedestrian. Uh, and he was backed off the boards to win as well. He went off at 8 to 13. Uh, for that handicap. Um, he was, he's still, you know, he's rough around the edges. He's clearly got a lot of ability, natural history. Um, but, um, and, and we know, we know that he's a very useful horse on the flat, um, but he's, he's keen as he was last time. And he's not yet a particularly clean jumper. Um, but he showed that he was, he was um, well handicapped of his old mark uh, in winning that. I mean, you know, he was, he was runner up in a, in a group three at Newbury in his final flat start. Um, this is, you know, and a decent race as well. This is Simon Stakes at Newbury um, on his final start for, uh, for Andrew Balding before switching stables. So while you wouldn't say that a, what is it, a 16-pound rise he has here? Yes. Is is lenient on what he did. I mean, most 
most horses who, who even can win by, by double figures at Plumpton uh, and not at one two fives are not necessarily um, uh, worth a, a rise of a stone and more. But the form he showed in the flat, you know, as I said, he, he'd have been um, you know close to close to three figure rating on the flat and going the right way at the end of his flat career. And with the, the, the stamina and the ability to handle soft ground that should make him an obvious contender um, to go forward over hurdles. Um, you think that you kind of ignore his opening mark, really. I mean, and I'm not a big fan of of horses um, uh, who you know were capable of of um, of winning group races. Quite frankly, um, I'm not a big fan of them giving a mark over hurdles, uh, which ignores the fact that they were very good in the flat. And I've seen a few scenarios where horses um, are given opening handicap marks, um, which are the same as their flat marks. Um, and for me, that's always that's always bonkers. Um, but anyway, that's Agreed. he was at least given a higher mark. One one six is 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 uh, you know twenty odd pounds higher than than he was in the flat. Um, and the idea that you can work out exactly what a horse's hurdles mark should be based on on their flat mark is is dangerous. Um, but one one six looks lenient um, on what he did in that sphere. And despite the fact that he was keen, um, he still. Uh, look like he could do a decent job. So I'm not surprised that he's been heavily backed for this. It looks like his entire campaign. He only, you know, he because he finished his his, his flat career um late in the autumn, um, there wasn't really the opportunity of a of a of a full and uh, novice campaign for him. So he couldn't really it, it wouldn't be easy to get him to get him ready for Cheltenham, for example. Um, but it would have made something like this an interesting uh, try. We, we all know um, from the results of, of uh, big handicap hurdles in the last few years that novices are potentially well-treated. You don't need to give the handicapper too many clues of how good you are to be, to be heading up to a lofty mark. Um, but novices tend to be judged on novice form, and the sort of median rating for novices is much lower than, than for, um, uh, for, for more experienced horses. So your opening handicap mark, handicap mark is liable to be lenient if you are a classy performer like Natural History. And even with a 16-point rise, um, that's still uh, sorry, um, yeah, that's that's still liable to be uh, underestimating him. He needs to do things a bit more professionally. He could do with settling a bit better. He can't afford to make mistakes in this, but he's got tons of ability. Um, and he's you know he, he comes here with with ten stone odd on his back. And in, in what is let's let's be blunt, this is not the the strongest handicap hurdle you'll ever see. So his claims are obvious enough. It's competitive, but you know we're we're not. It's not absolutely full of superstars, is it? No. Um, and natural history is it's it's obvious enough that. Um, uh, that the market speaks for him. Um, and I don't know how good he could be, you know. Um, he could be very good indeed. Um, he's also, oddly enough, a, um, a half-brother to a Cheltenham Festival winner in Doomsday Book. He won the Kim Muir. Oh. Um, so it's a, it's a slightly odd pedigree. But, you know, as I said, he's you know he's he was, um, uh, I think I tipped him up when he was second at, um, at Newbury on his final start uh, when Yukon Glenn beat him. Um, it, obviously, he was running in the in the Queen's colours then. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's 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 a, a very very good starting point. The question is whether you whether you you know you factoring in the potential for him to be keen and the potential for him to to jump scrappily uh, and the fact that he's got limited experience of this kind of handicap is that enough to put you off? I think you know his his platform came at a high level. And he's not going to be phased by competition as such. But you've you've always got to add those things in. They are unknowns. They are they are um, factors which can affect performance. And you just got to work out what your bottom price is. And he is what price is he? He's the best price I can get you is three to one. 
three to one. Yeah, three to one is three to one is short enough. Mm. Who would you want to be against him with? I could see you being reasonably keen in Malaya again. No, uh, you've given up on her. But thank you for the reminder, and that's again one for the therapy chair. And maybe you're about to make a very strong case for for Malaya. Miranda, obviously, I'm the, not. I mean, we can move on from that. Fantastic, uh, Miranda, obviously yeah. the defending champion. No, the the one I'm I'm interested in is the the horse that I mentioned to you, Kate, Danny, and Jamie yeah. on on Friday, and that's uh, Leon Cavallo, uh, who I think is just fascinating uh, and is entered for Cheltenham as well so um, your, your thoughts on, on him listen he's been around for a long time Leon Cavallo he doesn't he doesn't have any secrets from the handicapper but he's been running he's pretty reliable and he's been running well I say because they off late he hasn't run since um, the Cesaro which where he was he ran perfectly well finishing sixth in that as it goes like saying that's very strong handicap form uh, the days when you could finish in the frame in the, in the, Cesaro, in the Cesaro, which by dint of having seven stone on your back have, have long gone. And if you're going to um, to run respectably in that, you've got to be pretty decent. And, um, you know, the horse who finished two places behind him that day is probably going to be a warm order in one of the handicaps at Cheltenham mm-hmm. uh, with a similar sort of preparation, Linwood Gold. Yeah. Um, he was, he was uh, a length behind uh, Leon Cavallo there. And he's had one race since, which was to qualify for the Pretemps final. And I think he's probably going to be a little bit of a, a gamble through the week. Leon Cavallo's gotten the same sort of the same sort of um, a treatment. Um, he'll be having his first run since this is our which year. And I guess, you know, if he runs well, then he will also uh, have a date at Cheltenham. But yeah, he, he's very interesting in that um, he's, he's clearly as good as ever at the age of nine. He's always gone well after a break. Uh, so the fact that he's been off um, five months uh, since the Cesaro, which is, is not a concern at all. The, the owners have won this race before, haven't they? Yep. Um, with um, uh, Ebony Express, um, who landed, well, I was going to say landed with the gamble. He was, you know, he, he was he was quite well fancy, but off at 33 to 1. And clearly they like to lay one out, whether whether the horse is with Richard Newland, whether it's with, with David Pipe. Um, they do have a, um, a hankering for a nice handicap winner. So yeah, again, he's clearly been laid out for this, and it's difficult. You know, it's difficult to know where you hang, where you stand with a few of them. Langer Dan's pretty short, and on his best form would have, would have a, a big chance. He's five pounds lower um, than when a good six beaten just over four lengths in the Boodles last year. And the question with him is, you know, is the fact that he hasn't progressed this year a sign that you know, like a lot of juveniles, he hasn't he hasn't progressed physically um, and therefore is vulnerable in handicaps, or is his very shrewd trainer hoping to lay him out for a handicap? Uh, and therefore, this is a very interesting one. He's in this and he's in the Martin Pipe. So anything that's, that's entered at Cheltenham is interesting because as that may have been laid out for this. So Langer Dan... I'm not sure whether he'd get in the uh, the Martin Pipe. Certainly not if his current market. He'd need to be picking up the penalty anyway to do that. I'm not convinced. I just don't think he's been quite as good this season as last. And I think he's short enough on what he's done this year. Um, hang in there is quite interesting for, for Emma Lavelle. He's been disappointing this season as well. Uh, but he was a, he's a horse who won a, a graded novice hurdle at Cheltenham last year um, at the November meeting. And he's just not quite been been um, getting on with it this season. Yeah, was, he ended um, uh, last season he, um, early because he was up against Shishkin, I think, in the uh, in the Sydney Banks at Huntington when he fell out the last. That's right. And then wasn't seen again. Just gives the impression this season that... Um, that maybe he's been feeling the effects of that. But again, the handicapper's been kind. You know, if this has been the culmination of a plan, you know, he'd have been a good 
good 10 points higher um, when initially assessed. Concern with him is that he's, he's won at Cheltenham in the past, um, but he's not entered in any race at the Cheltenham Festival. So there's no question of them having laid him out for a, for a, um, a double whammy here. So that's not the case with him. But he's still he's still capable in last season's form of bouncing back. He just looks like a horse who's maybe had his confidence knocked by a bad fall and, and just isn't that keen to, to go through the pain barrier at the moment. He's travelled well enough in his races this season. Finished midfield at um, uh, at Newbury and Kempton in his last two starts, but there hasn't been an awful lot of oomph in the finish with him. Question marks over him. Malaya, I mean, she's you know very well suited by big field handicaps, going right-handed, and she won the race last year, but she had 10 stone two then, and although she's... Um, She's beginning to slip a little bit in the weight. She's taken a long time to do that. Um, and she is what oh, still rated 134. I think she's too high in the weight still. She's only midfield at Ascot last time out. I struggled to see her bouncing back to um, to the form she showed when, uh, when winning the race before. Well, what about the um, the double-barreled, the Tristan Davis clan, one true king? Because he was so well-fancied for the Lanzarote and showed nothing but did run yeah. much better last time out at Ascot he, look, he looked good early in the season he he um, he ran well at, a, at, um, at the October and the November meetings at the Cheltenham Festival heavily backed both times the Lanzarote you can write off because he's gone he's um, those who, who led that day and stuck to the inside um, ended up being well beaten you know the, the horses who were who were at the front end and doing what you normally do at Camden, stay to the inside, go the shortest route around. That ended up not the place to be. And of course, um, the horses who dominated in the end tended to come from behind and go wide. Um, that's very much true. Of, of Boreham Bill did that. And he was, you know, wasn't fancied at all. Uh, was the MLFL second string. Uh, her main hope raced handily towards the inside and was beaten out of sight. Um, so, you know, Boreham Bill, Misty Whiskey, Hunter's Call all came and more than we. Uh, certainly in Morgan, we all came pretty wide um, and from either mid-division or further back in the field. So that seemed to make an awful lot of difference in the Lanzarote. Um, that was also Wondry King's first try at, the, at that trip. Um, and you could easily argue he simply didn't stay. It didn't, it certainly, it didn't help being um, on the worst of the ground on the inside as well. Uh, he bounced back to form to, to a degree at Ascot last time out. But, um, you know, he, he would have gone a lot closer that day, but for making a bad error at the second last hurdle. He was just in front at the time as well. And I wonder whether he, I don't think he would have won, but I think he, you know, if he pinged the hurdle, I think he'd have gone reasonably close. But um, he was he was fighting hard to um, uh, to hold off the challenges at that stage, pitched badly on landing after hitting the hurdle and was never going to get involved after that. I think Midnight River would have won whatever happened. Um, but One True King would have been a lot closer. He will appreciate going back on better ground. And he will appreciate the drop back to two miles again. So I think he's an interesting one. He's definitely on the short list. Never easy to try and make all the running at Sandown. That's the, the one thing I would say. Mm. You know, it's a long, it's a long, long climb. Um, one veteran journalist said to me last year, he said, um, my, if I had to give anyone a punting pointer at Sandown, it is just wait until they turn into the straight and lay what looks to be going easiest. <laughs> If it's on the bridle coming into the straight, just lay it because the temptation is always to, is always to go for home, and it, it's just never. It just you know, traveling strongly never never counts for an awful lot. Finding off the bridle is what counts at Sandown. Um, so you know, just if you're if you're swinging away with two to jump at Sandown, do not be counting your chickens, and it's absolutely spot on. Uh, this is the hurdles course, yes, rather than the chase course. Yeah, different. Yeah, a lot of horses um, who travel who travel enthusiastically find it a long, long way home. At Sandown, it's not surprising. It's you know, it's a it's a, a stiff climb 
over a long distance as well at Sandown. So that's a slight worry with one true king, but everything else I think is, is positive for him. And of course, he's, he's a, a novice who's only four pounds higher than when narrowly beaten um, in a competitive handicap at, at Cheltenham in the autumn. So he's he's definitely on the short list. Um, I can leave Diego to Charmille alone. Good old Eamon and Knick. Yeah, he, he was a winner of a course in the distance on his penultimate start, Eamon and Knick, having dropped a long way in the weights. Um, and he was then beaten trying to follow up um, without a penalty because it was a conditional riders race he won. Uh, and the obvious conclusion with that is, well, you know, he's been found out by the handicapper. He ran into one. He, he ran into one properly in Grumpy Charlie. Um, and that was actually probably a step forward in getting beaten last time out. So I wouldn't rule him out, but of course he's nine pounds higher. Um, so that makes it harder for him. There is a possibility that he ends up going off at a massive price here, you know, and it, it would be slightly bizarre that he could start five to six against a horse like Grumpy Charlie on his latest start. And then he'd, he'd line up in an Imperial Cup at 33 to one. That's possible. And if, it, if, if that looks like happening, then I might get involved in him mm. um, because that would be an overreaction to him being beaten last time out. And again, it's, it comes down to handicapping. You say, beaten off one, 117, how can he possibly win off 126? So he's going to be the first horse off a lot of people's lists. Uh, and while I don't massively fancy him, um, I would consider him at a big price. Could very well be that there's just an absolute good thing in here towards the top of the market. And if you're comfortable backing a horse at that price, then fair enough. Uh, for me, Leon Cavello has been on my mind for this race for a while. And as you know, for Cheltenham for a while and um, where, where my money's going to be going. Uh, just the other one that interested me was Nigel Tristan Davis's One True King. Rory, sum up your shortlist for us. And indeed, who you would recommend backing. One True King, Eamon and Knick, Leon Cavallo, Natural History. But that's the, those are the main ones I'm looking at. Before we get more expert analysis from Rory Delargy for the TV racing on Saturday, Imperial Cup Day, I'm delighted to say that the Final Forlum podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. And that for the first time ever, Tote are doing the 10 to follow Cheltenham mini game, the ultimate tipping competition. You can enter for five pounds with prizes ranging from 1st to 500th for the paid game. So it's €5.50 to enter in Ireland per stable, £5 per stable in the UK. Uh, The prize money would work out like this. If there is €50,000 in entries, for example, uh, that would work out if you win first prize. Uh, £14,300-plus of the Queen's finest sovereigns will be yours. In euro, that's 16,800 euro. Runner-up prize, 5,760 euro. Third, 4,800 euro. And what a brilliant way to have an additional interest for the greatest show on turf for the entire week. The free game, by the way, one annual membership for Cheltenham, including the festival, Two hospitality tickets to the Panorama restaurant for Saturday, November 13th, or two 2022 Gold Cup Day tickets for Cheltenham, or it could be two hospitality tickets for the Leopardstown Christmas Meeting 2021. The winner of the free-to-play competition gets first choice as to which of those four prizes you want. And then after that, it goes second, third, fourth. You know how it works. All you have to do is log in to tote.co.uk, click on the top right-hand corner, new, 10 to follow, click Cheltenham Festival, and it is as simple as search and shortlist. There's 400 horses plus that you can choose from. 
create your stables, log in and register, enter the competition. And if you think you can take on the Final Furlan Podcast team and the Final Furlan Podcast listeners will then enter what the Tosh have named Final Furlong Podcast Gravy League. Final Furlong Podcast Gravy League with the pin 000068. So Final Furlong Podcast Gravy League, that all-important pin 000068. And the very best of luck to everybody who enters, whether it's the paid game, free game, or you're taking us on. Delargy, Kate Tracy, Jess Stafford, myself, come and have a go if you think you're clever enough. The Toast Tend to Follow Cheltenham Festival mini game, the ultimate tipping competition, is just another fantastic way to enhance the greatest show on turf. Terms and conditions apply. The three o'clock on Saturday, again, live on ITV and uh, on Racing TV, sees Rainy Day Woman head the betting at nine to two. Uh, Miss Lamb is 9-2 to two in places, but really you can get 11-2. to two. Flirtatious Girl, 7s. Uh, tweets Gert, 15-2. to two. Uh, Ballyborough Mary, 9s. We could be here all day otherwise. This is the British Stallion Studs EBF Mares Standard Open National Hunt Flat Race. Rory Delargy loves a bumper. Tell us who wins. Yeah, I, I don't massively love a bumper, it has to be said, but there's plenty of form available. So it's a uh, it's not a bad race to to have a look at. Um, and the form ties in very neatly as well because um, Rainy Day Woman, um, who showed ability in two starts last season for her previous trainer slash breeder, Pam Sly, possibly part owner as well, um, um, has bought them to join the, the Paul Nichols yard. She has improved in two starts this season and she looked very, very good indeed when beating Flirtatious Girl um, at Huntington last time. Flirtatious Girl herself having run out an impressive winner in her debut at Warwick in November. Um, they meet on, on four pounds uh, different terms, so there should be less between them. But I think strictly at the weight, really uh, say women would be, would be still the pick um, and there's almost certainly more to come from her. Uh, Flirtatious girl looks looks a, a smashing sort herself, and that you wouldn't easily kick her out of the fr- out of the frame. And um, Miss Lamb won her first two, looking pretty good, and ran her best race. And um, when splitting um, subsequent winners, um, one of those being the outstanding uh, bumper mare we've seen this season, Eileen Dover. Mm-hmm. Finishing six and a half lengths second to Eileen Dover looks decent enough for him, but you've got to remember that um, uh, Grongy um, was third that day and then um, went and, and won well on her next start at Leopardstown. And Dragonbones, who was fourth, won a listed hurdle on her hurdles debut last weekend as well. So, um, you know, that was a... That's clearly better form than it looks at the time. I think she might be the, might be the value in the race in this line. Oh, certainly on the way that uh, market racing uh, race is working out. That was a listed contest. Yeah. But as I said, the um, the the fourth has won a listed contest since, um, despite having no experience over hurdles. The third has won a Grade Two since, uh, and Miss Lamb um, might just be the uh, the value receiving four pounds from Rainy Day Woman on that basis. 
Well, that top price of 11 to 2 is going to come tumbling down as uh, Roy Delarge gives Miss Lamb the big foot of confidence and very difficult to, to get away from that form, particularly with uh, Grangy. Shout out to Jess Stafford, who is uh, with us for uh, some of our daily previews as well for the Cheltenham Festival, which brings us to our final race, concluding our coverage of the weekend, Rory, as we've decided to only look at Sandown. Who wins the 335? Uh good question. It's a it's a tough little um tough little contest this and you can give chances to the entire field, quite frankly. Um plenty of uh, of last time winners in the contest. Um one or two who come here on the back of um, of losing efforts can be given a chance to uh, um to bounce back. Um and it's not, it's not an easy one. A lot of these have been running on, on soft and heavy grounds. Uh, no getaway, of course, and distance winner um, on heavy grounds last time out. Um, needs to prove that he can do that uh, on a faster surface. Um, he was runner-up at uh, Doncaster over, over hurdles um, last spring. Suggests that it shouldn't be an issue um, for him. Uh, and plenty of these want to lead as well. That's the other issue. Um, I would say that... Um, uh, of the smallish fields of the eight runners or sorry the, the ten runners in the field um, four of them probably want to get on with things um, including uh, Verita Williams' Farinay um, Vinnie the Hoddy will want to go forwards um, High Up in the Air has made the running on you know he's, he's on a on a decent winning run, but he's made all the running um, in those races. Uh, no getaway made all the running when winning here last time out. Lust for Glory made all at Ludlow last time out. And Sam um, has uh, made all when winning at Ludlow last time and, and tried to make all on his previous start. Uh, and Stratagem uh, also uh, made all uh, to win last time out. So I'm, I'm, the inclination is either to find the one horse who's capable of, of absolutely dominating this or find one who um, is going to come from a little bit further off the pace. Um, and that's, um, I wonder whether Belargus might be the horse to be with. Um, you know, he's, um, his form reads well enough. He was arguably a little bit um, flattered, well, he's definitely flattered by the winning margin when winning here last time out. Um, that was in a, um, uh, a two-mile handicap chase, the Elmbridge handicap chase. Uh, when beating Grey Diamond and Numitor, uh, where Numitor did too much in front. He was a favourite that day. And Belargus was held up um, mid-ground past hiring horses and skipped away up the run into win by nine lengths. Um, so he, he took his field apart that day. But the impression watching it was that um, the those at the head of affairs early on um, were going too quick. And the finishing time rather suggests that. But he does um, he does stay further, Belargus. Um, and he will again get the race set up to suit him because they're going to go fast again here. And um, he's a horse who's just beginning to um, beginning to find his feet. He's got form on quicker ground as well. I know that was his win was on, on heavy. It's, it's easy to suggest that um, that might be his um, his ideal surface. Um, but he's run well. He ran well in a, in a jumpers bumper prior to that, um, and did his best to land the nap for me when second at Warwick in December. So he's 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 had his issues in the past, but he's getting his act together now. Um, and uh, the step up and trip and quicker ground, I don't think there'll be a problem for him here. And with five or six potential front runners in the field, I think he'll get the race run to suit. Um, there, there might be one or two who've got pretensions to be better horses than him, 
But again, that's not always the most important thing in races like this. Nick Gifford is who we're going to be following in with eight runners in the last 14 days, three of them winners, and his horses are hitting the board as well. So clearly uh, stable in, in top form. Uh, Balargas for Niall Houlihan, who again claims five. Before we wrap up, the final Furlong podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote and their new game, which I think is absolutely brilliant. The Tote 10 to follow Cheltenham mini game, the ultimate tipping competition. All you have to do is go to toast.co.uk, click on the top right hand corner, you'll see new 10 to follow, click Cheltenham Festival, and you're in. As per usual, bonus races, you can play for free. I've listed out the uh, fantastic free prizes that are already available uh, there, but if you'd like to pay to play, it's five euro and 50 cent per stable or five pounds per stable and prizes range from first all the way down to 500th. It is an absolutely sensational way of adding to what is already the greatest show on turf. Look out for the bonus races. Your deadline is the 15th of March. So you can pick your stable now, mull it over, have some thoughts, but make sure you've got your team confirmed by the 15th of March because that is your deadline and that will be the team that you will then have representing you for the week of Cheltenham. And again, it could be €16,800 or £14,300 potentially if you win the overall prize. Uh, there's also Final Furlong Podcast Gravy League. The all-important pin... Zero 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 six eight. Think they got enough zeros in there. Zero 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 six eight. Come and take on your fellow Final Furlong Podcast listeners and the Final Furlong Podcast team as well. Come and have a go if you think you're clever enough. It's a fantastic prize. Tote.co.uk. We can't wait for it. Brilliant initiative. Also, if you would like another Cheltenham Festival preview evening, may I point you in the direction of the Facebook page Turning for Home. Gary Sivs will be your MC on the night. And uh, this is all for a very, very, very worthy cause. The Bob Champion Cancer Trust on the panel. Andy Holding. Absolutely superb tipster, one of the best in the game. The legend himself, Bob Champion, Phil Kirby, Sean Quinlan, Andrew Blair White, and myself. I am more than happy to give my time to this, considering it is in aid of such a worthy cause. So check out the Facebook page, Turning for Home. It'll kick off at 7.30 p.m. this Saturday night, and there's bound to be strong opinions and hopefully Lots of gravy as well. Uh, just watch out for the page Turning for Home on Facebook. Very honored to be part of the guest panel and uh, happy to give my time to that. All in aid of the Bob Champion Cancer Trust. What a legend and uh, what a fantastic cause. Of the horses that we've talked about, who are you most interested in for Saturday? The um, um, Fergal Bryan's horse in the in the EBF final. I'm veering towards him at the prices. That is Carl it? Philippe. But if I change my mind, that's my prerogative. Exactly. Of course it is. New evidence, Rory. Uh, the lucky 15 that I'm doing for the benefit of the tape is Martinal and the 150, Leon Cavello. 
of his go on Leon Cavallo 225 Miss Lamb roaring in behind Delargi and roaring in behind Delargi in the 335 with Belargus as well a one pound each way lucky 15 pays nearly 7,000 of the Queen's finest sovereigns what a boost for Cheltenham that would be oh happy days Rory Irish Daily Star I've just completed a tiniest of cameos for them. Brian Flanagan's been very kind to ask me on for the last five years and I've thoroughly enjoyed doing it. But you contribute greatly to the Irish Daily Star as Cheltenham Pullout, which is available on Monday, but also Irish Field. Massive weekend. So what can we expect? Well, you've got a you've got a very long interview with uh, with Kim Bailey in the uh, in the Irish Daily Star, which I hope goes goes down well. Um he was he was very helpful. Um theoretically talking about his Cheltenham horses. Not really interested in that. You'll get that everywhere. When I find out about um, about his Cheltenham horses in 1978, that's much more interesting. Um, so we, we started from from square one with Kim. I don't think many people are aware his his father trained two Cheltenham Festival winners back in the day, back in the 1950s. Yeah, and he's been been in the game for a hell of a long time. Uh, got his license on the 1st of January 1978. That was very good fun, and I think that comes across in the um, hopefully in the transcript of that. Some very very good stories that um, Kim swears he's never told anyone before. So um, that, that's wow. really well worth the read. But also just you know bits and pieces like um, uh, I've done a couple of big race previews for the uh, for the Irish field. There'll be a five handicappers to follow from me in the in the Irish Daily Star and, and um, five horses for the festival, which won't be handicaps only, and therefore won't be the same horse for the uh, for the Irish field hopefully not scraping the uh, the bottom of the barrel too much there but <laughs> plenty of interesting ones in a 28 race card that's what you'll see in print the Irish field is always a brilliant read I can tell you that Brian Flanagan came on the show to talk about the Gordon Elliott affair he said unprompted we have a brilliant piece by Roy DeLarge with Kim Bailey which I think uh, readers are going to absolutely love it's fantastic that's the strongest possible endorsement I can give you my man I think that runs over three pages which was way more than I was asked to do the fact that uh, the Brian was, was keen to go with, with the full love rather than cutting it to pieces. Suggests that um, Mr. Bailey was in good form. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Roy Delargi. Goodbye and good luck. And for me, Amos Kennedy, thank you for joining us, for listening, for having us trending on Spotify in all categories and making us yet again a top show on Apple Podcasts. Kate Tracy was doing literal handstands. She can do that. So thank you so, so much. It means the world. And uh, we'll try and repay you with lots of gravy for Cheltenham. Take care. God bless. The final furlong podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Try Tote today and get a risk-free bet on the pools.